Good evening, Grace Bible. There we go. We're hot now. I told somebody that uh, the five o'clock crew was you guys are the real people who walk with Jesus. <laughs> you're the you're the real followers of Christ. Um, it's so good to be here with you. My name is Chris Davis, and um, I serve on staff as one of the pastors at Redemption San Francisco. And uh, I've been having a good time getting to know Pastor Dave. And one thing I know about Pastor Dave is he loves this church. He loves you guys. He really does. And uh, I, I drug my wife to the two morning f- services, but she's here with me. Uh, stayed up in the hotel tonight, you know. And uh, I, I told the, the second service that my wife is, y'all, she's the, the sugar to my Kool-Aid. You know, she's, she's the bananas in my banana pudding. And uh, I'm, I'm glad she's on the road with me for this trip. Uh, let's look at God's word this morning in Psalm chapter 10 as we pause from your regular Roman series. We're going to look at Psalm chapter 10. Psalm chapter 10 this evening. The psalmist declared it this way in Psalm chapter 10. Why, O Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? In arrogance, the wicked hotly pursue the poor. Let them be caught in the schemes that they have devised. For the wicked boast of the desires of his soul, and the one greedy for gain curses and renounces the Lord. In the pride of his face, the wicked does not seek him. All his thoughts are, there is no God. His ways prosper at all times. Your judgments are on high, out of his sight, as far As for all his foes, he puffs at them. He says in his heart, I shall not be moved. Throughout all generations, I shall not meet adversity. His mouth is filled with cursing and deceit and oppression. Under his tongue are mischief and iniquity. He sits in ambush in the villages, in hiding places. He murders the innocent. His eyes stealthily watch for the helpless. He lurks in ambush like a lion in his thicket. He lurks that he may seize the poor. He seizes the poor when he draws him into his net. The helpless are crushed, sink down, and fall by his might. He says in his heart, God has forgotten. He has hidden his face. He will never see it. Arise, O Lord, O God, lift up your hand. Forget not the afflicted. Why does the wicked renounce God and say in his heart, you will not call to account? But but you do see, for you note mischief and vexation, that you may take it into your hands. To you, God, the helpless commits himself. You have been the helper of the fatherless. I love that. Break the arm of the wicked and the evildoer. Call his wickedness to account till you find none. The Lord is king forever and ever. The nations perish from his land. O Lord, you hear the desire of the afflicted. You will strengthen their heart. You will incline your ear to do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed so that man who is of the earth may strike terror no more. This is the very word of God. Amen? Amen. He decided that he would take a short break from college. His name is Mike Yankoski, and Mike decided to take five months away from the normal college routine. He took these five months away to journey to six different major cities, literally, get this, to live on the streets, 
So Mike grabbed a buddy of his named Sam, and he put on a backpack filled with things he thought he might need. He put in his pocket just a few dollars, and he was going to live on the streets for five months in six different major cities. And he said he wanted to test his faith. Mike wrote this great book called Under the Overpass. He wanted to test his faith, and he, he wanted to see if he really did trust in the God that he said he trusted in. So he and his buddy Sam, they grabbed a couple backpacks, a few dollars, only for bus fare to get from city to city, and, and they grabbed a guitar to panhandle with, and they lived on the streets for five months. So they found themselves uh, going into rescue missions to get meals. And for the first time, Mike and Sam experienced genuine hunger pains after not eating for days at a time. They talked about in this book, they talked about how people walked past them as they would be sitting on the sidewalk as if they did not exist. And they also talked about uh, this interaction that they would have with children who were eye level to them as they sat on the street. Children would walk past them and glare into their eyes and smile and give them a wave when everybody else was walking past them as if they did not exist. They chronicled the experience of living as homeless people, and they talked about how even in the homeless community, there is a community within a community. They told the story of being in the park one day and and after a long night of unrest, sleeping on the park bench, he got up and was roaming around looking for food that day. And he came across a homeless buddy uh, who had a pizza in his hand and his stomach is growling and he hadn't eaten in days. And Mike sees this buddy with a pizza and his eyes light up. His buddy extends the box and gives him a slice of pizza, and he talked about in his book how much that blessed him, that somebody with very little, that, that, that somebody with nothing would extend something to him. Mike also chronicles his experience with the Christian church in different cities. You know, after not having bathed for days at a time and not always having a fresh change of clothes, uh, Mike would walk in churches, and there would be churches that received them well, that put some food in their stomachs, and some folks that would really just love on them, and then there would be some churches that pushed them away. Some churches, because they didn't have on the right stuff, and maybe they even smelled a bit weird, some churches that would push them off the property or out the back door. How dare the Christian church of Jesus Christ look down upon the down and out? the least of these. And I think when we look at Psalm chapter 10, what we will see is the character of the wicked, but in turn, we will get an opportunity to glance at the life of the character of the righteous. I've tagged this text this morning, this evening, helping the helpless. But before we go to work, let's pray. Father, thank you that you are a good God. Thank you for our sweet time of worship, God, uh, in directing us to you and honing in our hearts. Father, I pray that you would help us to understand your word. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see all that you would say and do 
this evening, God. I pray that you would move me aside, oh God, that we may hear a word from you. God, we need to encounter you this evening. Father, you hadn't promised to bless my words, but you've promised to bless your word and that it wouldn't return void. So God, we pray that you would do just that this evening. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said, amen. One of the things I love, one of the things I love about the Psalms is that uh, the Psalms were something that fueled the Christian church of antiquity. Uh, the church of old would go to the Psalms and to be reminded of the character of God. The church of old would pray the Psalms on a regular basis, would memorize the Psalms, but would also uh, worship to the Psalms, would sing the Psalms. And what I love about the Psalms is they show us the character of God. I I also love the Psalms because many of the psalmists are incredibly authentic. They give us their real feelings. I I love the Psalms because the Psalms are essentially poetry in motion. And the Psalms help us to give instruction to how we should live our lives. And that's exactly what we get to peek in on, even in Psalm chapter 10 this evening. It's interesting to me that psalmists believe that Psalm 9 and 10 used to be one psalm, and they were written together. But I love this because Psalm 9 is a psalm of praise and worship, while Psalm 10 is a psalm of lament. They're similar, but they're very different. Look at this with me. Psalm 9 verse 1 begins this way. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount all of your wonderful deeds. And then the psalmist begins to transition to the same themes in Psalm 9 that we will begin to see in Psalm 10. In Psalm 9-9, the psalmist declares, The Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed a stronghold in times of trouble. And those who know your name put their trust in you for you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who see you. But Psalm 10 begins differently than Psalm 9 begins. The psalmist writes in Psalm 10 verse 1, why, O Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? And in essence, what the psalmist does is the psalmist cries out to God, God, where are you? God, do you see all the calamity around? Do you see all that is going on? God, do you see all this brokenness? God, where are you? Ever been there before? Ever been in a place where where you long to cry out to God and ask him this very same question, God, where are you? All hell breaks loose in your life and you want to ask the question, God, don't you see all of this? God, where are you? Where are you? You find yourself in some predicaments that you never thought you would be in. And you want to ask the question, God, where are you? This is why I love the Psalms. And the church, even today, ought to be fueled by the Psalms because they are authentic. Here's the psalmist seeing the brokenness around him. And he is saying, asking a very real question, God, don't don't you see all of this stuff? And I love it because the psalmist begins to describe the observations of the conduct and the thoughts of the wicked. And this is crazy. What we can learn from this description is that in order to help the helpless, we have to understand 
that the way we treat the helpless, the poor, and the marginalized is directly related to how we view God. The way we treat the least of these is directly related to how we treat God. Look at verse 2 with me. It says this, In an error against the wicked, hotly pursue the poor. Even in verse 4, In the pride of his face, the wicked does not seek him. All his thoughts are, there is no God. In verse 80, he sits in ambush in the villages. In hiding places, he murders the innocent. His eyes stealthily watch for the helpless. He lures in ambush like a lion in his thicket. He lurks that he may seize the poor. He seizes the poor when he draws him into his net. And even in verse 10, the psalmist declares the helpless are crushed, sink down, and fall by his might. He says in his heart, God has forgotten. He has hidden his face. He will never see it. Do you hear the arrogance oozing from the pages? The, the arrogance of the wicked to, to use their power, their influence, to rule and dominate over the poor and the least of these. And they believe that God will never see it. That, that God will never act, that God will never go into action. And, and I, I love this because here we see that the wicked is deceiving, the wicked is oppressing, the wicked is using their power and their influence to crush the helpless. And if this is a picture of the wicked, how in the world do we think the righteous ought to look? If the wicked is oppressing, how in the world do we see the righteous ought to look. See, if the wicked is seen to be this, what we see in Psalm chapter 10, the righteous ought to be the ones who are running to the issues of the poor. The the righteous, the church, ought to be the ones who are lifting up the head of the poor. I love this because essentially this is a reminder for us and we, we, we need to be reminded. The, the wicked is literally using their, their power and their influence to walk over the poor like a doormat. And if the wicked is doing that, the righteous ought to be a part of engaging the poor, the least of these, the oppressed, the fatherless, in such a way that we, that we are lifting up their heads. See, the proud has a, a, a sense of God that, that the proud has no sense that God is rescuing, that God wants to restore and renew and redeem all things. They, they know nothing of it. See, while the wicked is plotting to ambush the poor, the righteous ought to be plotting to restore the poor. See, the wicked will harm while the righteous will kill. The wicked will curse while the righteous will bless. The wicked will oppress while the righteous ought to be known for lifting up and raising up the head of the poor. In fact, this is exactly what Jesus says as it relates to the hungry, the thirsty, the least of these. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 25, verse 45, he says, As you did not do it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did not do it to me. Jesus says, what you did not do for those who are hungry and thirsty and left to the side, you did not do for me. We even see in Micah chapter 6 verse 8, it says this, He has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice 
and to love kindness and to walk humbly with our God. This is the cry. This should be the call to every believer that we would cry out on behalf of those who are broken and destitute or those who have been cast aside, the poor, the broken, and the marginalized. See, in God's economy, there is no such thing as pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. In God's economy, what Psalm 10 teaches us is that you and I are to enter into the brokenness. That you and I are to enter in in such a way that even if it is folk who can offer us nothing in return, we ought to be willing to enter in with them. It's crazy to me because it reminds me of this old basketball game that was a couple years ago. Uh, it was Louisville and Duke playing against one another. And Louisville and Duke are in this heated battle, and uh, there's a Louisville player, even if you care nothing about basketball, this is crazy. Uh, this Louisville player, he, he's got the ball, and he makes a move, and he goes up at the three-point line, literally in front of his own bench, and he shoots the ball, and he comes down, and his leg snaps into On national television, and they replay this whole reel over and over again for everybody to see. And you remember, if you, if you saw this game, you would have seen the way that the bench, guys who have invested years in with one another, who, who have been in the gym with one another, who have been in the weight room hour upon hour, do you know what their response was? The same team of this guy, Kevin Ware, the same team, they moved back because they didn't want to see it. It, it. it was that bad. Even the guys that were in the game with him at the same time, the other four players that were on his team, they all bent down and put their faces to the floor because they did not want to see it. But there was one guy during this chaos, there was one guy as Kevin Ware is on the floor in agony, in pain. There was one guy who comes off the end of the bench and he kneels down to Kevin Ware. He grabs his hand, and I can imagine him saying, hold on, help is on the way. You're going to be okay. Hold on, help is on the way. And I want to tell you this evening that that is the job of the righteous. Not to move back, not to lean back in fear, but to engage in the messiness, to engage in the messiness and the brokenness. Why in the world would we do this? Because this is what Jesus has done for us. Jesus has put on flesh and he has come in the form of a man and he has walked the earth and he said yes to death and shed his own blood for people who could offer him nothing in return. He shed his blood. He said yes to death. He stood in our place for our sin, the broken, the weak, the marginalized because of our sin and Jesus came toward us. This is why we have a responsibility to move toward those who can offer us nothing in return. I'm not talking about some drive-by charity. I'm talking about a long, enduring lifestyle of loving the poor, the least of these, and the marginalized. It reminds me of when I was a kid, I was eight years old, and, and, and I remember um, I lived, I grew up in inner city St. Louis, 
And I grew up in a single-parent home. I'm the youngest of five. I've got three sisters and a brother, and they're all older than me. And um, this church began moving into our inner-city neighborhood to build relationships with people in our neighborhood. And there's, and there's some people in the church who came across my mom who, who was trying to hold it all together, raising us five kids by herself. And uh, there were two men who really latched on to my brother and I. And they really began to just invest and raise up my brother and I. And it was because of those men that I went to camp for the very first time and learned how to swim and shot a gun at nine years old for the very first time because of these guys. And when I graduated from high school, they were right there in the stands with their wives saying, well done, son, we're so proud of you. And when I graduated from college, they got in their cars, drove two hours from St. Louis, and that day they were in the stands saying, well done, son, we're, we're, we're so proud of you. And a few years later, when I graduated from seminary, they got in their cars, loaded up their cars, and drove four hours to Memphis, Tennessee, and they were in the stance that day saying, well done, son. We're so, we're so proud of you. When I married my wife, they were there. Years later, those same men that I met when I was eight years old, still walking with me, still teaching me how to be a man. Because of them, I, I saw how a husband should be a husband to his wife and how a dad should be a father to his children because it wasn't some drive-by charity. It was a long, enduring relationship where they invested time and energy in my life. And this is what Psalm 10 is pointing us to this evening. Psalm 10 is challenging us that we may look like the righteous. See, this is not about uh, you and I going on a short-term mission trip to snap a couple selfies with people that look different than us just to put on Facebook or Instagram. Uh, this is not about writing a check so we can send it in and get the tax write-off. What Psalm 10 points us to is a lifestyle in which we are opening up our hands. We are opening up our pockets. We are offering up our calendars to people who have nothing to offer us back in return because of all that Christ has sacrificed for us. Are we living those kind of lives? Are we walking those kinds of walks? Are we raising our children in that kind of manner? Let, let me say this. I know that there are some people in here, and man, there's organizations that you've been invested in for years, and you've been working hard. You've been getting your hands dirty. There are people in here who, who have been raising children that they've adopted. And uh, there, there's people in here who have been doing great things. And I want to say to you this evening, well done. Keep, keep at it. Don't get weary in your well-doing. But then there are some of us who have not got off the bench yet. And there are some of us that God is challenging even this evening because we are called to actually be the hands and feet of Jesus, that we may go out into our cities and affect change for his glory and for his namesake. Secondly, I want us to see that in order to help the helpless, we must deeply value prayer. The psalmist notices all of the brokenness. It's as if he is overwhelmed by the audacity of the wicked. And the psalmist realizes that all that he sees is much bigger than him, but it is not too big for his God. 
And after the psalmist makes all of these observations of the wicked, you know what he does? He cries out. He, he, he prays. Look at verse 12 with me. It says this, Arise, O Lord, O God, lift up your hand. Forget not the afflicted. Why does the wicked renounce God and say in his heart, you will not call to account, but you do see God. For you know mischief and vexation that you may take it into your hands. To you, the helpless commits himself. You have been the helper of the fatherless. Break the arm of the wicked and evildoer. Call his wickedness to account till you find none. The psalmist recognized that all that he sees, yeah, it may be too big for him, but it's not too big for his God. So he prays. He cries out to the living God and he depends upon God to do that which he could not do in his own strength. See, if you want me to show you a powerless people, I will show you a prayerless people. If you want me to show you a powerless church, I will show you a prayerless church. If you want me to show you a church that is not affecting change in a city, I will show you a church that lacks prayer. What the psalmist does is he sees all of the calamity, sees all of the brokenness, and he cries out to God. And he understands that God is much stronger, he's much wiser, and he depends upon divine intervention through prayer. He cries out. Do you know what the Bible tells us that many times we don't have because we don't ask? And dare I say that there are some people, there are some oppressed folk, and some, 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 there are some powerless folk, there are some oppressed and broken and poor folk that are maybe that way because we aren't praying as the church. We aren't depending upon the God of the universe, the same God that put the stars and the moon in place to affect change in our cities. This reminds me of the story of Nehemiah. Uh, Nehemiah gets word that there's a group of Jews that, that are in trouble because the walls of Jerusalem have fallen down. And you know what Nehemiah does? He responds. Nehemiah chapter 1, verses 4 through 5 shows us this. Nehemiah says this, As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days and continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven and the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Nehemiah saw all of the brokenness. He saw all of calamity. He knew what could happen to the city of Jerusalem because the walls of the city were down. And he wept, he mourned, he fasted, and get this, he prayed. He cried out to God. He prayed because he recognized that even though the walls of the city were down and the city becomes vulnerable because the walls of the city are down, he knew that it might have been too big for him, but it was not too big for his God. He prays. Are, that, are we that kind of church? Are we those kinds of believers who understands that, yeah, God is not some genie in the bottle, but we pray and we cry out to him. And dare I say, even this evening, that even in this city, there are some walls that are down. Dare I say that you can walk into juvenile court or you can walk into the general sessions of court and see that there are some walls down in this city. Dare I say that you can go to the risque neighborhood of town 
And you can see that there are some walls down in this city. What's our response to be? Be the church. Love like Christ has loved us and extend a hand, a drink of water to the thirsty and a plate of food to the hungry as Christ has done to us. Even folks who can give us nothing in return. We are to be the church and prayer It's not some genie in the bottle. It is in the same way that the psalmist declares uh, in the old hymn, I need thee, oh, I need thee. Every hour, I need thee. That's what we declare through prayer. We cry out to God. We depend upon God to do that which we cannot do in our own strength. When I was in seminary, um, uh, we had to do something called practical missions. And you couldn't graduate from seminary at our school unless you did practical missions. And these practical missions, you were responsible for uh, things like going to an elderly home and preaching or uh, going out into a neighborhood in an organized way and sharing the gospel with strangers. And, and you had to do this if you wanted to graduate. This was in addition to your coursework. And so uh, I remember this one particular day we were out based on compulsion, we were out sharing the gospel because we wanted to graduate, sharing the gospel. And um, reluctantly, we were approaching this woman who's standing out in her yard on this big hill. And we're walking up to her. And as she sees us walking up, she yells out, whatever you're selling, I don't want it. And we're like, we're not selling anything, <laughs> you know. And so we, we walk up to her and it was my turn to share the gospel. And, and, and I began sharing the gospel with this woman. And I, and I got to tell you, it was my worst gospel presentation ever. You know, I'm fumbling over my words. I'm mixing up things. Now, this was a terrible gospel presentation. But as I'm sharing with this woman, she, she began to weep right there outside in her yard. She, she begins to weep. And I said to her, I said, you know what? I, I'm not going to lead you in any kind of prayer. Uh, can we just pray in this moment? I'm not going to lead you. I would love for you to just cry out to God on your own. And you know what she said? The first words out of her mouth, God, have mercy on me. God, have mercy on me. And I got to believe that in that moment, she was depending upon God to do that which she could not do on her own. She was facing her, her own brokenness and her own sin, and it seemed to be insurmountable. And she cried out to God, God, have mercy on me. And her prayer became a tool that she might commune with God, the God of the universe, and depend upon him to do that which she could not do on her own. This is what Psalm 10 is pointing us to, that you and I may see the brokenness all around us in our cities, and that we may cry out to God, that we may depend upon him to do that which we cannot do in our own strength. Lastly, in order for us to be a part of seeing help for the helpless, we must rest and trust in the Lord. It's the five o'clock service. We must rest. No, (laughs) we must rest and trust in the Lord. Verses 16 through 18 helps us To see this, the psalmist writes it this way. The Lord is king forever and ever. The nations perish from his land. O Lord, you hear the desire of the afflicted. 
you will strengthen their heart and you will incline your ear to do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed so that man who is of the earth may strike terror no more. The essential, essentially, the psalmist says, God hadn't forgotten. And I love it. He says, you will strengthen their hearts. He says, you will move into action. You haven't forgotten. You remember how the psalm began? God, where are you? Don't you see all of this stuff? And the psalmist ends it with, God, you're there. I I know that you're there. And I can trust you and I can rest in you because I know you see and you care. Maybe that's somebody's word tonight. That God sees. That God cares. That God has not forgotten that God has not turned a deaf ear or a blind eye, but he hears and he sees. And the psalmist essentially declares that to us tonight, that God has not forgotten. He reminds himself that the Lord is not just king sometimes, but he's king forever and ever. And he reminds himself, I believe, because we so often forget. We so often forget that the Lord is king forever and ever. And David writes it this way, Lord, you hear, you will strengthen, you will incline your ear. The psalmist says, God, you're here and you care. See, David is known for being a true worshiper. And he wrote much of the Psalms and he's known for being this true worshiper, a man after God's own heart. And I love this because David pins this psalm, in Psalm chapter 10, talking about the characteristics of the wicked, in turn, teaching us about the characteristics of the righteous. And I believe David is saying to us tonight, this is true worship. That if you and I are to live lives of true worship, we will seek to love on the poor, the fatherless, and the least of these. And it does not matter how much money or how little money we have. It does not matter how much money or how little money we have. We are challenged to actually be the church because of all that Christ has done for us This is real worship. And our ultimate example is Jesus himself. Jesus modeled loving the poor. He modeled loving the fatherless and the oppressed. And if your faith is truly in Jesus Christ, you will do so also. He loved us when we were in unlovable. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And he gave himself up for us. How dare we not give ourselves up for our cities? How how dare we not move into action as it relates to the brokenness? And, And I love this because David ends this psalm this way because he can rest and trust in the king who is reigning forever and ever. Went to China a number of years ago on a missions trip. And the last leg of our trip was a 13-hour flight. Now, I know some of you have been on international flights, but this flight was 13 hours. This was a long flight. And it's so crazy because I just found myself chilling. 
And, and here I've got books, you know, I'm watching movies, I'm listening to music. But then I, I just start relaxing. I take my shoes off. You know, they're giving us these little noodle uh, packets. I'm killing the noodles. You know, I, I'm just relaxing. I'm kicking my shoes off, putting my feet up, reclining in the chair, and I'm resting. And get this, I'm trusting in the pilot. Because here I am, I find myself on a 13-hour flight, and all I can do is trust in the pilot who has the intelligence beyond what I can think of as it relates to flying planes. And all I can do in that moment for those 13 hours is rest and trust the pilot who knows more than I do. And this is what Psalm 10 calls us to. That you and I may rest and trust in the king who reigns forever and to ever. And as it relates to helping the helpless and helping the poor and the marginalized and the oppressed, we don't have to have it all figured out. We should rest and trust in the Lord because he knows, he sees, and he cares. And we do this all because Christ has done this for us in sacrificing his own blood and shedding his blood on the cross and dying on the cross for our sin and being buried in a borrowed tomb and raising again on the third day in all power. He did that for people who could offer him nothing in return. And so we do the same. We, we are the church. Father, thank you that your word is true. Thank you, Father, that you've challenged us actually be the church. And so, Father, I pray this evening that we would go beyond this place and that we would live and do all that you would have for us to live and do. That we would be the church in this city and even to the nations. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.